Hi everyone, welcome to the Communicating Science broadcast. I am Signe Opperman and today we're talking with Maria Muruma Mengel, who is a lecturer in social media at the Institute of Social Studies and a former secondary school teacher. Thus, she is a very experienced presenter in schools and community settings. Maria, would you like to say something more about your background? And especially about your experiences with young audiences so far. Um, hi, everyone. Um, yeah, I've had quite a lot of experience with uh, young audiences as I was teaching people aged um, roughly 14 to 19. And uh, later on, uh, as I started my academic career, my life has brought me <laughs> to work with people from like um, fifth grade, second grade and so on. So, yeah, I've, I've seen some young people. <laughs> now, coming to the main point of our short uh, conversation, I'd like to know how, in your opinion, is lecturing or giving a presentation to children and young people different from uh, lecturing to adult students at university or in front of ordinary adult audiences at conferences or events? There is certainly a difference when we talk about um, the academic community and uh, presenting your results or ideas or whatever um, to these people uh, because mainly because of the sense of community and the language that is uh, shared. But when you talk about and when you talk to um, kids and teens, um, then actually I don't think it's very different from university students because the, the, I find that the common um, rules or like shared rules um, are the same in very many different groups, for example. If you start preparing for a presentation or uh, a lecture, then you always, I'm sure that most people do that, uh, think about uh, your audience. Who are they? What could they already know about the topic? Um, when was their last, you know, like touching point with this subject? And uh, what could they expect? If you're not doing that, then I suggest you do, because otherwise you could find yourself in, you know, situations where you have kind of leaped over the heads or you're running, you know, too low. Mm -hmm. But uh, know thy audience indeed is uh, rule number one, I think. And if you don't have any resources to uh, get updated on that, then I suggest you, for example, seek help from uh, and additional information from the people who have invited you to, I don't know, give a presentation in your school. Like, what have they learned? What should be, you know, something that they already recognize and um, what could be totally new to them? You mentioned language. What about language? What special language you should use when uh, communicating to people who are not from your academic circles <laughs> we do become kind of blind uh, to uh, the specific terms that we use and the and the difficulty that others might have um, when communicated uh, communicating with us but um, I think that we are able 
if we force ourselves to, uh, to translate our very specific research topics into like layman's terms and, and to, you know, just try to think as an eight-year-old, try to think as a 14-year-old, go back into your own, you know, memories. Like, what were you? What kind of words did you know? Or it doesn't mean that you have to oversimplify and talk like about things, but you can um, say the term and, for example, point out that this is a rather difficult, um, you know, language construct, but then you offer translation as you go. So this works really well. I, mainly my field is internet studies, so you know half of my job is done there because the young people usually know pretty much about that stuff and have experiences. But still, I do too have very specific terminology, uh, which I like to use in my lectures as well. And I don't really go over these terms and uh, avoid using them, but rather whenever I say it, I give a really brief explanation of w what it is that we are talking about so that's what i mean in like mm. language ways but can you can you bring any recent examples i have to think about that hmm. oh yeah um well for example i find one phenomenon that takes place in uh, social media very um exciting and interesting which is called um social steganography a hard term. Most people don't know what that means. And I acknowledge that, that it's a difficult term, but what it actually means is sending secret messages in, you know, public site. And then you, and like the second rule that I would like to uh, emphasize here is that um, just don't talk at people, but rather talk with them. So whenever you explain something, um, give time and be patient about uh, trying to ask their opinions, like, can you think of anything that is known from history, for example, where people have sent secret messages in public sight? And usually, if you count to ten, really, like, calmly and quietly, and don't rush into giving answers yourself, then the young audiences uh, are with you, most of the times. They just need a little bit of, you know, warming up. Okay, that sounds very convincing. But if you put the matter into a nutshell, um, and if you think, for example, of uh, preparing a workshop to young people about any scientific topic which perhaps is not familiar to them, but which is your area of expertise, what would be the, the crucial rules needed for, for preparing a very good, exciting, but also uh, clear and understandable workshop? Mm-hmm. Mm. I've already talked about a couple of like these general things that one should keep in mind. But um, I do think that the basis of being able to learn something is um, when you have something to build on. Which means that even if you talk about really difficult concepts and like really revolutionary <laughs> kind of new advancements in science which might not be that familiar to, for example, young people, then I'm sure that there is some way to tie that in into existing uh, experiences, existing knowledge, existing, you know, something that it can be built on. So what I most often do is that I ask the uh, students and the young people 
what do they already know about the topic, what are some things that kind of make them go, what, what is this, I don't understand this, and if I can, and if that's my expertise, then I try to explain it, and thus we can go on to talk about these, you know, focal points that you have and then you can also discuss with the young people like how can you use this why is this important does this make sense to you in what context does it make sense to you and and like what why do we need to talk about this and you can't say it that's the like the ground rule if you go and start lecturing like you need this because it's not gonna work that well but if you get the students to say like, okay, this sounds interesting. It could tie into what we're talking about in biology, or this is something that I can use in my, I don't know, romantic relationships or whatever. So then it kind of um, is already internalized, this knowledge that you want to convey. Quite often we, we, we say or, or hear that uh, everything should be interesting to young people. How to uh, find out what is interesting for them? <laughs> million dollar question right ask them <laughs> for example uh, this asking questions often gives you their um, the framework where you should put your uh, of course that means that you can't really go into uh, these presentations and workshops with you know pre-planned very rigid kind of you know uh, this is what I'm going to tell you about so you have to be flexible but yeah, mostly just ask people what you what you find interesting, what you don't you understand, but would like to, or um, the the question of being interesting is a tricky one because some people are naturally very charismatic. They could be talking about like anything, and you could still go, "Wow, that's so interesting." Although it's you know, if somebody else does it, it it doesn't seem like that. And I don't think that this is something that you can fake or this is something that you can kind of train. Yeah, you can get better in, you know, conveying your messages, but you you kind of have to be very honest about who you are and you have to know how you are as a presenter. So I would suggest everybody would uh, videotape themselves or record themselves giving lectures so you know how you are and... If you find something that you can work on, then do. But if you find something that is very you, but like weird or quirky or even boring, then own up to it. That's you. And you can, it's, it's kind of going into like <laughs> very different discourse. But um, once you are aware of the things that um, young audiences who can be really mean uh, could make fun of or some kind of aspects or quirks that could make um, receiving your messages a bit tougher because it's like you have a lisp or you limp in a weird way or you have like, I don't know, a weird moustache, <laughs> then uh, it's it's mostly beneficial if you point it out yourself before they do. So should you have a lisp, then, you know... Be aware of it, make a joke about it and, you know, don't let them get to you. It's an information war. You have to get there first. <laughs> so, so I guess the message is that uh, if you are a boring person and you, you know, understand that you are a boring person, then, you know, 
be that person. Be very honest about it. Be like, okay, I can be the really like uh, sciency nerdy type, but um, I'm just gonna tell you about like something that makes my heart beat, and this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Even if if it's like presented not in a stand-up comedy way or whatever. Yeah. Um, and finally, uh, please give five good reasons to visit schools hmm. or youth organizations and talk about your research. Oh. Something that's novel in your field of study or, or actually the, the, the core of the question is how to encourage researchers to engage with young people more through science. First, um, these people could be your awesome colleagues in the future. Because whenever we talk, uh, whenever I've talked to um, people who talk about how they got involved, it's usually because somebody made an impression. And, you know, you got to be there to make that impression in order for them to find... You know, there's this saying that you can't be what you can't see. So we have to be there and be seen. So this can be like a desirable option of, you know, life paths. So first reason would be to have awesome, awesome colleagues in the future. Secondly, um, I have found that young people, well, of course, my field is also internet studies, which is a bit different than for, I don't know, genetics or something like that. But um, young people do ask really weird questions sometimes that force you to look at your own research problems and and understandings and frameworks in a very different way and and make you make you question them like have i have i got the whole picture have i have i got this down is this the importance really or is there something in this question that this young person has uh, asked me and so yeah fresh new perspective Five reasons. Well, three, young people are so cool Mm -hmm. because they give you energy. Of course, there's always, you know, a couple of, "Ah, I'm too cool for school. I'm not interested in what you're saying. But mostly it's just, you know, this pure energy of the young people Mm -hmm. that kind of is infectious. And you come out of these workshops having more energy than going in usually. And of course, I think that uh, it's our duty. We have to do this. Um, because these are the people of our communities, of our societies, and it doesn't matter if they, you know, follow your footsteps or go into science or or um, become researchers. But it's rather about, you know, that's your job. Mm. You have to do this. So it is in a very important or beneficial for the education, culture, society. Obviously, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, Maria, for this inspiring talk and thank you all for listening. Thank you very much.